Zero has been interested in the evolution of isolated species for some time, particularly those that have been left alone for generations. However, there is often a separate type of symbiotic, augmented evolution that occurs when certain species develop alongside humans with dangerous results. Bears, for instance, can become habituated to the presence of humans over time. After years of eating human junk food that is poor in adequate nutritional value, they may wander into towns in a sort of somnambulism and attempt to eat everything they encounter. Wild animals, never meant for captivity, have been known to eat their trainers, even after decades of training. The Bureau has found that coexistence with humans can change creatures, making them very different from what their primal instincts have trained them to do and what hundreds of thousands of years of evolution have made them become. Those results, though rare, are often horrifically, are often disastrous. horrifically disastrous. It was my second year as an exterminator for the Bureau, and my supervisor, my Uncle Mickey, couldn't have been prouder. He told me, the first time I was in my uniform, that I looked a lot like my father did in the overalls, hauling the backpack sprayer up a five-story brownstone tenement with no elevator, or squeezing into someone's crawl space with a mag light and a can of insecticide. That summer in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, 2013, was the hottest summer on record in nearly a hundred years. As we boiled in our coveralls, none of us knew what a hot and brutal summer it would be. For me, it will always be the summer where my life changed, and I learned about the secret world under our feet. Everyone that summer had only been talking about one thing, the rats. They were terrible every summer. On garbage day, the piles of trash lined the streets, and the hundred-degree weather cooked the spoiled garbage. That attracted the rats like they'd been advertising a free, all-you-can-eat rat buffet. That summer, they were out in hordes. Floods of rodents nesting on the sidewalks, running along the baseboards in cafes and delis, it wasn't uncommon to hear the shriek of some patron in a high-end restaurant as they caught a flash of fur, or felt the tickle of paws running across their feet. But what we thought was going to be the biggest payday summer since the citywide garbage strike turned sour in a matter of weeks. We were in the sub-basement of a midtown restaurant, one of those fancy places with a dimly lit dining area. The kitchen was all bright lights and stainless steel. Below was the basement prep kitchen, where the cooks butchered entire pigs and slabs of cow. This was the ancient part of the building, overlooked by the need for renovations. Painted brick and rubbed away signage led the way to the maintenance tunnels, which led to the garbage room, where all the chutes in the building ended. The place looked like it hadn't been cleaned in a few decades. Piles of junk and old equipment were pushed against the walls. In the center of the room, a few dumpsters collected trash via a chute that smelled of the worst kind of putrid, rank trash and guts from the animals butchered upstairs. 
One of the janitors said that he'd seen a huge rat down here, stealing meat from the dumpster. A whole cow's head, the janitor had claimed. Every few seconds, another bag of garbage falls down the chute from the hotel rooms above. When my uncle and I muscled the dumpsters out of the way, we found a hole, though it was big enough to be a tunnel. Uncle Mickey said it looked like something chewed right through the wall, pointed at jagged teeth marks along the side and the scrape marks of tiny, scratchy claws. The management of the building said they wanted the rats dealt with as soon as possible, but this looked like it went into an adjacent building, possibly down to the sewer tunnels and the subway. I wanted to just gas the tunnel, but the manager refused to shut down operations of their restaurant, which meant we had to use traps. And the most effective way to place traps is in the highest traffic area possible, which meant one of us was going into the hole, which meant me. I donned thick gloves and squeezed my head into a respirator, screwed in my headlamp, and started to wriggle into the hole with a trap box in one hand and a probe in the other. As I shimmied through the hole, the air became heavy and humid. Somewhere below me, I felt the rumbling of the subway the dull roar of the train that vibrated my body and rattled my teeth. It was strange, this tunnel. It looked to be in the in-between space of two buildings, presumably dug out over several years. But if the rats had done it, how was it so big? I didn't see them at first. I only heard them. The squeaking and chattering of rats. What we in the biz call... A mischief. Small beady eyes glinted at the edge of my vision from the headlamp. Tiny limbs rocketing into smaller holes as they were caught in my light's beam. I decided I'd traveled far enough and started laying down my bait box where a lot of the traffic seemed to come from. I'd never been afraid of the dark, even as a kid. I could go for hours in hiding spots kids wouldn't think to look in because it was pitch black darkness. Somewhere everyone assumed kids were too afraid to go. Maybe it was the rattle of the subway below, or the thumping bags of garbage hitting the ground in the room behind me. But in that tunnel, I felt something else. I felt like I was being watched. The darkness outside the circle of my headlamp seemed to swallow up everything around it. I didn't feel alone. And that's when I saw it. At first, I thought it was a fried rodent. You'd see them from time to time, chewing on some live wire for whatever reason. They bite down, and the current tightens every muscle in their body. And they cook from the inside until they are mostly bone, gristle, and burned fur. But this was different. The rat's arms had been stretched out and pinned to the wall behind him, dissected. He had not accidentally been fried by the live wire sitting exposed above him. Someone had put him there, placed him, made him bite down on this wire. Like a warning, above his head was a crude drawing of what seemed to be a sequence. 
an arm pointing at the elbow of the other arm. And then, in the next sequence, the finger brushes the elbow. The strangest thing about it was that this rat was too large. Almost cat-sized. Or at least it was. Parts of his fur hung like a drape over a skeleton that bulged rather than grew normally. The skull itself was large, distended by some kind of disease or tumor. I didn't get much chance to look at it, as just then the subway rumbled by underneath me. I felt something catch in the ceiling. I felt a pressure, a kick-up of dust. And then the tunnel started to collapse. What I told Mickey later, when he pulled me out, and I sat in an ambulance getting my vitals checked, was there must have been some gas in there. Because after I saw the mutilated giant rat, I could have sworn I saw a live one, staring at me from the darkness of the tunnel. It was standing up on its hind legs, looking at me with this ferocious open mouth full of sharp, crooked teeth. Nearly cat-sized, with the same distended, bulbous head. And it was holding a pen, one of those cheap, Bic pens, with the end broken out towards me with both hands. I didn't want to sound crazy, but it kind of looked like a spear. We were in the midst of that summer, getting sent out to every suck job, and things were only getting worse. The garbage was piling up each garbage day. Rats now freely stealing food from tables, getting into people's houses, biting their pets and children. It was strange, too, the rate at which business seemed to boom. Lots of exterminators chose that summer to get out of the business. Called in sick to jobs that we then picked up. Admittedly, a lot of the new work was the worst kind. Open sewer lines, hoarder basements. But to me and Uncle Mickey, this is where the money was. So we didn't mind getting a little dirty. We were greedy, trying to get paid. I hadn't told Mickey about the strange hand symbols carved into the tunnel, or about the rat holding the spear that was clearly a hallucination. We used to joke about the guy that he used to work for, Roger McGill, who Mickey called Old Rog. He was old even when Mickey started, ancient by now. Rog used to say that one day the rats would exterminate us back. We were spraying down a restaurant that had just failed its health inspection when Uncle Mickey told me that Old Rog used to talk about the Q rats in parts of Queens. Back in the 50s, these insane rats that would come right up to exterminators and attack them. Raj had said once, on a job out there, that one of those rats came up at him with a freaking knife. Queens, man. Crazy place. A week prior, I would have thought that was funny. But now, I was unnerved, remembering the image of those bulbous-headed creatures leaping at me from the dark. I tried to ask Uncle Mickey more about it without seeming too strange, but he brushed it off. Old Raj was a drunk now. He'd spent some time in the loony bin upstate. 
It was what happened when someone was an exterminator for too long, he claimed. All that time breathing poisonous gases, dealing death. Wheelchair bound now, too. He'd fallen through the floor in an old chemical factory. Claimed there was all sorts of bones down there. Called it a monster lair. Uncle Mickey explained to me that old Raj had been in Vietnam. PTSD could be hell, Uncle Mickey said. I found old Raj in the phone book. Sitting at home in my apartment, I punched his number into my cell and listened quietly as the phone stopped ringing, and there was this rhythmic rattling on the other end of the line. It took me a moment to realize it was an old man, asthmatic and wheezing into the phone. I told him that I worked with Mickey, that I was an exterminator. He asked me what the hell I wanted. His show was apparently about to start. In the background, I could hear some kind of war documentary on the television. The volume turned up all the way. I asked him about the rats he'd seen on the job. Which rats? He asked me. I seen all kinds. Like aggressive rats. Aggressive rats who used weapons. He paused gunfire and helicopter blades cutting through the air. He told me he didn't want anybody calling to make fun of him, to ridicule an old sick man. It sounded like he was going to hang up, so I blurted into the phone that I'd seen one too. I'd seen a rat that had been holding a pen like it was some kind of spear, and about the dead rat that looked like it had been mutilated. Not mutilated, he said. Well, you saw one of the Q rats, didn't you? He told me he didn't know who started calling them that. He didn't know where they came from. He just knew that there were a couple of old foggies on his crew that talked about the Q rats in Queens. And how if any of them ever went on Queens jobs, they always fogged. They didn't mess around with bait traps in Queens. They just gassed the whole place and got paid. This was back before safety standards, so they were constantly killing pets, making people sick. But that mattered less to them than killing these Q-rats. They were smart, too. The Q-rats would set traps. Exterminators found loose steps on landings that looked like they had been unscrewed. One had fallen to his death in a subtunnel while crossing a walkway. It looked like the screws holding the walkway in place had all been removed. Exterminators would go into buildings and find the fuse boxes tampered with to explode. Mixtures of chemicals in rooms. Small fires set in abandoned buildings. Others reported that they found their traps destroyed and their vehicles vandalized. One exterminator returned home after a long job and found that someone had put rat poison in his kid's cereal. This was way before animal activists, though, old Raj told me, in the 30s and 40s. So they didn't know what Psycho was doing it. They told old Raj that some of them started bringing blackjacks and pipes with them down to jobs in Queens 
because the rats there attacked in a way that seemed organized. They had no fear. But these were just stories to old Raj until his last job in Queens. He'd been a kid. That summer there was a giant business boom, soldiers coming back from the war wanting to celebrate. And so the burrows were rife with trash as people ate and drank their way into creating the baby boomer generation. But apparently, they weren't the only species experiencing a population boom. He asked me if I knew what commensalism was. Animals that enter into a partnership with humans, where they benefit from living near humans but cause no harm or benefit. Freeloaders, he told me. A whole species of them living below the surface of the city of New York. They survived as long as we survived, and prospered when we prospered. But the thing they don't tell you about rats, he explained, is they get smart like we get smart. Q-rats, for whatever reason, were smarter than the regular rodent. Their intelligence bloomed as the human population in New York skyrocketed. But just as quickly as the Q-rats had driven many of the exterminators out of business, Queens especially, they suddenly disappeared. He'd even contacted a biologist in Fordham, who was doing a genealogy study, who confirmed that a subspecies of rats local to the burrows in New York had been sighted and typified in Boston in the late 70s. Such a thing was horribly bizarre, and everyone except one grad student blamed it on bad science. Fanatical overreaching. But the grad student, Bill Chambers, went to Boston to do studies of his own. He went nuts, though, old Raj told me. Looney bin. That made two driven insane, including supposedly the man I was talking to. I asked him if it was possible for me to reach Bill Chambers, and old Raj said he tried getting in touch, but the boy was under supervision and not allowed visitors. Plus, he said, and paused. Plus what? I pressed him. I felt heat under my collar, fear rising from my feet and heightening my senses. Through the phone line, television explosions. Well, he said. I got this phone call after I hadn't heard from the student in a while. I called everyone I could think of. His mother, his professors. I even considered calling a local PI. I was rat obsessed, you know. I had to know the answer. Anyway... He said, pausing. His voice rattled. I got this call late one night. It was a recorded voice. Electronic, like through a machine. Stop looking. That's what it said. Stop looking, or be punished. It scared the hell out of old Raj, and so he'd stopped. Said it wasn't worth knowing. Everybody could think he was crazy, but, well, at a certain point, 
it just became not worth it to find out more. Before I got off the phone with him, I asked him what had started all the interest and in looking into the Q-Rats. I told him I'd heard from Mickey he'd fallen into some kind of hole. His voice on the other end of the line, catching on each breath. Behind him, screaming. The sound of gunfire from the TV. Not a hole, he said. A nest. Then he hung up. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Signal connection restored. I had a few days off coming up and so I thought I'd look up this scientist, Bill Chambers. To be honest, I was interested in getting out of the business completely, as it seemed to be getting more and more dangerous. We worked this horrible job in Long Island, where a hoarder had a whole den of rats living in his basement. He'd been arrested days before for pulling a weapon on his neighbor. Insane saying he was being held hostage, forced to do things for the voice on the telephone. The house belonged to his mother, but nobody knew where she was. We were supposed to go in before the garbage team and lay traps down where we could. And for about an hour, we worked quietly. This house was this museum of misery, loaded up with boxes of expired cereal, trash bags, fast food cups. The smell was ungodly, a ripe tang of sugar and chemicals, all intermixed with this organic spoilage, almost like a fermenting yeast. Down at the bottom of the stairs, we'd found his mother's bedroom, the bed completely covered in trash. I noticed a shadow dart across the bedpost, and so I started doing a probe to see where they were coming from. And that's when I found his mother's body, all dried up with a family of rats living in her abdominal cavity. Big rats, but not as large as I'd seen in the tunnel. Half her head was missing, 
and I could see the rats pulling out the rotten gray matter. What was left marred with bite and scratch marks. The rats looked up at me with a curious intensity. But before I could do anything, Uncle Mickey pulled me away from a collapsing pile of magazines, which once again buried the mother's body beneath a pile of trash. Someone had duct taped a line of kitchen knives to the pile, which would fall onto any person the pile collapsed onto. A trap. We called the cops, who called the coroner. They told us that the trap and several others they found in the house were the work of the crazy hoarder. They didn't find any rats. They couldn't question the son because he'd killed himself in custody. Afraid that they were going to get him and punish him was what he told the cops. A few days later, we heard about another exterminator who'd been killed in a hoarding house. He'd seen there was a hole in the drywall, and when he went to put the bait trap down, he stepped into some water and was electrocuted by an exposed wire. By the time they'd found him, he'd been cooked clean through. A horrible accident is what I heard. Members of the bigger companies were furious, asking if it looked like the electric had been tampered with, but nothing came of it. Nobody would put a hit out on exterminators that summer. The city needed us more than ever. Around that time, Mickey got a job to clean out an old factory in Queens. From his description, it had been abandoned on and off for about 50 years. Old Rogers factory. I told him to wait for me to get back from vacation to take the job, but I knew he might not. I had to work fast. William Chambers, I was able to find out, had recently left the private mental clinic he'd checked himself into months before, and was living in one of the small towns just up the Hudson River from New York. He wasn't into science anymore and was working as a grocery store bagger for some local spot. I got in his line with a few rat traps, and he barely looked at me as he scanned them and put them into a paper bag. Willie was a skinny man with sunken eyes, skittish like a thing that had spent too long in the dark. What are the rats like up here? I asked him. They as dangerous as in the city? He looked at me again, looked me up and down, and then went back to scanning. He told me he didn't know anything about that. I heard you were an expert, I said. I came here to talk to you specifically. Said you might know about a subpopulation or whatever. Smart rats. People call them Q-rats. His hands started shaking, staring at the ground. I'm not supposed to talk about that. They're back in the city. They're trying to kill people. I'm not going anywhere until you talk to me. Eventually, I convinced him to talk. He took me to a local bar. Classic rock blared through all the speakers, so much so that it was impossible to hear the commentary 
from the several sports games on the television. He told me it was safer here. Everyone kept dogs, and the population density was low enough that the nests were never very big. He ordered four shots, and then told me to get whatever I wanted. When we sat down at the table, he began to line them up and shoot them, his hands shaking. He told me he knew someone would come to find him, eventually. He just assumed it would be someone from the government. Hoped it would be. Five years ago, he'd gone to Boston to look into the subspecies of rats that had migrated from New York. Sometimes, he explained to me, you can start to put together a story of why migrations happened. But this one was sudden. Some 300 rats seemed to have picked up one day and left the city. Often you'd see these kinds of things in the wild, with primates and territorial disputes. But the rate and concentration of this move was astounding. To cross some 200 miles, avoiding other cities and smaller metropolitan regions, and that was something humans did. These rats were bigger, much bigger, at least according to rumors. Eventually, he was able to trap one and test it. He borrowed a lab from someone at BU, an adjunct in their biology department. He ran some tests on this rat. Touch screen testing method. Stimuli discrimination. 99.9% success rate. In the 99% quintile for growth. It was unbelievable. And they kept making the tests harder and harder. Discerning objects. Comprehending sentences. Solving complex mathematical formulas. He left a touchscreen up for the rodent during a session, and it would draw pictures on the wall. It took him several days to realize that it was writing out sign language gestures and sequence to the scientists. Let me out, it was saying. Let me out or be punished. I stopped him. What did the sign for punish look like? Then Chambers showed me the same sequence I'd seen above the dead and tortured rat in the tunnel. A hand pointing at an elbow and scraping the elbow with that finger. I asked him where they'd come from. It was in the name. Q-U. Not Q, as old Raj had told me. Queensland University. He'd looked into it. Around the time of the end of the Second World War, a department of the army was looking into intelligence augmentation using concentrated ionized atoms. Radiation. The study was closed just about as soon as it started. There were few safety procedures, a lot of people got sick, and the military shut it down. The rats that were used in this experiment were supposedly destroyed. There were 50 at the start, but the population grew too quickly. It was the rat who'd pointed Chambers to documentation. In the old government files, Chambers learned that there were two groups. A more aggressive, larger group, and a smaller, intelligent one. 
The records said one in particular, Jupiter, had sired somewhere around 1,000 rats. Soon after the experiment was cancelled, a scientist had found the Jupiter strain killing the smaller rats and cracking open their heads and eating their brains. The ingestion of meat, especially cranial tissue, became their obsession, so the government had them all wiped out. But apparently some had survived and fled hundreds of miles away. Chambers told me no one would believe him. I thanked Chambers for his time. It was a long ride back to New York, and it was late. I wasn't sure how much of his story I believed seemed insane. When I got home, there was already a voicemail waiting for me. A police detective upstate said that William Chambers had killed himself, drove his car off a pier, made no attempt to escape. I told them to do an autopsy, and they flat out refused. No resources. Not for something like this. Not for a drunk who drove his car into a river. I could imagine the creatures. And they tracked him down by following me. Climbing into the inner workings of his car. Sabotaging it. Drugging his food. Sentencing him for punishment. Later that night, I got a phone call. It was a blocked number. And was so late that it could have only been Uncle Mickey with some emergency job. Still, I'd been having terrible dreams. Monster-sized creatures of pus and wrinkly skin, staring from the darkness with hundreds of yellow eyes. I have to get here quick, Uncle Mickey's voice said. He sounded strange, terrified. The chemical factory in Queens Plaza. I went by myself. He told me. But they're here. They were waiting. Then, I was sent an address to go to in Queens. It was there, like Mickey had said, right off Queens Plaza. It was an old stone monolith with plywood covering its windows. It was scheduled for demolition, but had been abandoned intermittently for decades. I had brought our gear with me, a hazmat suit and as many gas bombs as I could carry. I wanted to gas the place, but not with Mickey inside. I jimmied open a door on the other side of the building, into a pure sort of darkness. It was near dusk, and the flashlight I brought with me seemed to get chewed off at its edges by shadows. For a time, the space had been an artist's studio, and so there were random items of furniture, paint canvas, tents, trash, fuzzy couches littering the area. Scat covered the corners of the room. As I descended the levels, the place became eerily quiet, and from along the rafters of the subsequent lower floors, there was more and more trash more and more of that fermented yeast smell, and always the feeling of being watched. 
I found Uncle Mickey three floors down. He was chained to a long metal hook of rebar sunk directly into the concrete. I could see him trying to wriggle out of the chains in the dark, his stomach and shoulders fighting to get free, his body bobbing. Then I saw that the front of his coveralls were bloody. Strange lumps moved around beneath the fabric, and eventually a rat darted out from behind his coveralls and ran towards the edge of the room. His head twisted, and I saw the cracked hole in his skull from which another rat darted out. A dozen other rats followed. Uncle Mickey had been dead, probably for several days. As I stepped forward, the rotten floorboards cracked underneath me, and all went black. I awoke to pitch black. My headlamp had broken in the fall. Along with what felt like my wrist and several ribs. My breath came out and rattled, pained wheezes. (laughs) I pulled myself up to sitting, pushing through piles of refuse that clattered hollowly. I realized there were piles of bones. Just then, I heard a noise and tried to turn towards it, but found that my boots and uniform were fastened to the ground. There were glue traps scattered all over the floor. As I twisted, they shifted underneath me and I slipped onto a pile of them. I felt them attaching themselves to my uniform, to my arms and legs, and as I tried to stand up, I realized I could not lift up my knees. The floor of this pit was also covered in some industrial adhesive, freshly applied. As I strained against it, I lost my balance again, falling into the glue feeling the goo starting to fuse to my face. I started to scream for help, but there was nobody to help me. I saw the shadows growing along the peripheral of my free eye, darting in and out of the dark. Then, it was there. A fleshy mass of albino skin, wrinkled, the size of a small child. In some places, its skin seemed sunburned, blackened. Its head was distended, bulbous. Parts of its skull covered in a rash of tumorous bumps. One of his eyes looked to have been crushed, face sunken in. And the other stared at me through this milky white cataract. He could not move except through the small mechanical thing which looked like a science fair project. Rats stood on each side of him, standing upright, holding sharp things. Broken scissors, pieces of wrapped glass, nails, knives. Then a robot voice spoke. One that almost sounded like my Uncle Mickey from when we'd been at the first job and I'd been in the tunnel. Someday, they'll be exterminating us. 
The rats started to make their way towards me, blood on the edges of their weapons visible now. Behind them, the Rat King smiled a crooked smile of bent teeth, waiting to be fed. And then, I wrenched my hand behind me and pulled the tab on my gas bombs. The handheld bombs started to fizzle and spurted green smoke from their tops. I threw them towards the rats and tried to pull my respirator over my head. I must not have been successful because I felt my vision dimming. I assumed this was the end. I woke up in a hospital, my face bandaged. The doctors told me someone wandering through the building found me, an urban explorer. They called the fire department, and with some industry strength solvent, they were able to get me free. I told them that it was a prank, something that some kids had done to me, and that I didn't want to press charges. I wasn't about to tell them about the rats. I'd probably have ended up in the loony bin too. I left the city soon after. I went back to school, changed my name, and cut off all ties to the rest of my family. I would much rather them think I was dead than find out the truth. I don't know if I'd ever be able to explain what happened to Mickey. They demoed the building. My uncle's body was never found. From time to time, I still get calls from the Rat King. He always finds my number. He tells me that every day their numbers are growing. Every day our numbers are growing. Soon they will be ready. Soon we will be ready. He tells me that I will be punished. You will be punished. This record was collected by myself and a former partner after a deranged exterminator attempted to stop the construction of a new skyscraper on the area of Queens Plaza, known as the Old Queensland Campus. He claimed there were dangerous creatures inside, intelligent predators that would kill anyone who tried to deal with them. The Redwood Bureau took over after several exterminators were maimed or killed at the scene, attempting to gas the building. As per instructions that have been in place since the 1950s, the entire facility was gassed. Speculation about the ingestion of gray matter and its ability to augment cognitive capability is still ongoing. Redwood may still be continuing these experiments, despite this incident and others. The unknown exterminator did a sufficient job in covering his tracks, but he did receive a little help from a rogue Redwood agent. I was able to completely bury his connection to the events. It is unknown whether the entity known as the Rat King survived the gas attack. Reports have been scattered of creatures matching the intelligence quotient of the Q rats, but it is likely that this small amount of publicity drove them very far underground. I confess that I myself have received the same calls from robotically recorded voices, replaying conversations that come from close surveillance of myself. Certainly, anyone or anything surveilling me knows what I'm capable of. The legends persist within exterminator circles of strange beasts living right below our feet, 
of super-violent, hyper-intelligent rats who are out for revenge and crave the taste, crave of, human the taste flesh. of human flesh. <laughs>